It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 80 of the Night Talker, 1045, where are we at in society? We have numerous examples of people doing stupid things in the name of social media. At 1015, it is the first of my two-segment chat with Justin Wells of Inside Texas and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. And coming up in seconds, Saquon Barkley will, in fact, play this year. What is going on with Jim Harbaugh at Michigan? I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave. And do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. As someone who is a big fantasy football player and likes to see the best guys out there competing each and every week, I was happy to see that Saquon Barkley decided to end his training camp holdout and the possibility of missing games during the regular season after he did agree to a one-year deal with the New York Giants. Now, the deal itself is right around where the one-year contract that he was going to have to sign as a franchise player was. But, because of the incentive-based structure, he has a chance to make millions more if he, and maybe more importantly, the Giants, are good this year. That's right, I've been thinking about this. About how you can make this more worth it for running backs. Many of whom are, I don't want to say used and abused through their rookie deal if they are that good. But these guys are treated with a level of disrespect in terms of how willing coaches and offensive coordinators are to ride them the first two to three years of their NFL lifespan. Rendering them less physically capable to carry that load going forward, maybe in the last couple years of the deal, or perhaps it's for the possibility of that second contract, which everybody, the highest drafted rookies included, are aiming for. That is the deal that provides these guys and their family and friends and whoever else is a part of the group with that generational wealth. And so for Saquon Barkley to figure something like this out, this is what I was thinking about with this, is even with those rookie deals, you provide incentives in the contract in terms of eclipsing a total number of carries, total numbers of yardage, obviously, touchdowns, and also the success of your team, too, and how much you had to do with that. And so good on Saquon Uh, Saquon Barkley, for one, agreeing to a deal so that we get to see him play with the Giants this year, but also giving him a chance to make more than what that franchise tag would have paid him. And I guess in a much smaller manner, good for the New York Giants for coming up with this deal too. Like ultimately, they didn't have to do this. They could have let him just sit out for the entire season, but they did work with their star running back to come up with this agreement. And this is hopefully going to benefit both sides immensely this next year. I think the Giants have potential to be good. I know everybody still makes their Daniel Jones jokes, and he does leave at least a little something to be desired. 
I had Adam Adam Wagner of the Wagner Wire, which you can hear on 1027 ESPN on the show last week. He's a huge Giants fan. What did he call Daniel Jones? Poor man's Josh Allen? Which that's not a completely inaccurate comparison. The ability to throw the ball around, to use your legs, and yeah, occasionally to turn the ball over and 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 explicable, inexplicable manner, excuse me. But getting Saquon Barkley in that backfield is going to help Daniel Jones and the rest of that offense hugely. He is one of the biggest game breakers in the NFL right now. Obviously, he's a guy who can do a lot of different things on the football field. And this team, the NFC East and the NFL on the whole, is better off with Saquon Barkley not sitting out for even a single game. I think I have the Giants slotted at second in the NFC East right now. That may be to Cowboys fans' chagrin, but I'm sorry, Cowboys fans. Your head coach is Mike McCarthy. I'll believe that that team uh, meets their potential, if not overachieves when I see it. But you're also still behind the Philadelphia Eagles right now, and even though they may fall victim to the Super Bowl runner-up curse, doesn't seem like that's going to happen. They're still really good roster-wise on both sides of the ball. You can never predict a rash of injuries or whatever else may throw a wrench into the spokes of a season, but I think Philadelphia is primed to repeat as NFC East champs and possibly make another run to the Super Bowl. But they're in a tough division now with the Giants, Getting Saquon back and the Cowboys could be good. We just don't know. Washington still bringing it up the rear. The Commies, even though they are in a better place with Dan Schneider no longer at the helm of that franchise. Ron Rivera is your head coach. Are you that crazy about that? What are you doing at quarterback? You have a decent running back room. You do have some talented wide receivers too. Some pieces to work with on the defensive side of the ball, but ultimately, they are the worst team in a good division. So take that for what you will, commie fans, a.k.a. commander fans. And then we have this story before we hit the commercial break. Michigan head football coach Jim Harbaugh, shifting over to college football now, is working with the NCAA on a possible four-game suspension relating to recruiting violations and dishonesty. This resolution, if and when it is reached, will see him suspended for the first four games of the 2023 season. And this is according to Yahoo Sports. Both sides have been working towards solving the problem. This problem that stems from Harbaugh among other things, providing false statements to investigators about recruiting violations. This has apparently been going on since January when the NCAA had initial conversations with Harbaugh about all of this. During this process, discussions revolving around the potential recruiting violations led to the enforcement staff claiming that Harbaugh was not truthful in his answers. Now, Harbaugh's attorney, Tom Mars, has provided a statement for all of this. Quote, we are continuing to work cooperatively with the NCAA staff on an enforcement matter. At this time, we are not allowed to comment on possible penalties or other aspects of the matter. 
Okay, so a whole lot of words to say pretty much nothing. So what is Jim Harbaugh going to miss if he is essentially told to sit out the first month of the 2023 football season? Technically, he would be in there for the very last game in September, but he would be out the first four, September 2nd. And all four games, for that matter, are in Ann Arbor. So Michigan hosts all these games against middling to bad competition. They open the season against East Carolina, and they welcome UNLV, Bowling Green, and the Rutgers Scarlet Knights on Saturday, September 23rd. And Harbaugh would be eligible to return from this four-game suspension for the fifth game of the year. That would be a game... At Nebraska, kids, Saturday, September 30th, the Matt Rule-led Nebraska Cornhuskers. And folks may have soured on Matt Rule after what they saw play out in Carolina, and that was not a good look for Matt Rule. I do believe, as you've maybe heard on this show before, that he is much better suited. His style is much better suited for success at the college level, much like Rutgers head coach Greg Schiano who also failed miserably at the NFL level. He's more of an authoritarian, which I think works in college, but not when you're dealing with professionals, young these young adults, many of whom are making more than you are as the head football coach. So that game on Saturday, September 30th could be an interesting one, considering it's at Nebraska, and you know Matt Rule will have that team playing good football sooner rather than later. All right, coming up, it is the first of a two-segment chat, my regular two-segment chat with Justin Wells of Inside Texas and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It is a Tuesday on the Night Talker, which means it is time for the first of a two-segment chat with my friend Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. Check them out all of those places and on Twitter at JustinWells2424. Justin, thank you as always for the time. How are you doing this week? Man, I am I am blessed, Trey. Trying to stay cool. That that this summer heat is is kicking our tail, man. And now in late July, it's uh it's getting hotter and hotter. It, it's not just in sports; it's outside, man. So I'm just trying to stay cool. I think that's a great plan this time of year, especially in this great state. And just for full transparency, you and I are recording on Tuesday afternoon right now, and we both just saw the this headline that Jim Harbaugh is working with the NCAA on coming to some sort of agreement on a four-game suspension for the 2023 season based on several recruiting violations, including, I don't remember if they call it a Type 1 or Class 1 violation from Harbaugh himself for providing misleading information. What the hell? Yeah, you know, you, you got to be a little more descriptive when you're when you're talking about these standard operating guidelines and violations because that, that, that you know... Giving misleading information to what? Misleading to a prospect? Misleading to the NCAA? Misleading like did he, to the, did he tell the NCAA that he threw Charmin in that kid's trees when it was actually quilted northern? I mean, what is the misinformation here? You know, maybe it was because he was baking cakes for Jordan Elliott before NIL was NIL, and they're still <laughs> upset that that was a monstrosity of a of a bakery. I'm not sure. All I know is the first, my first thought was Tennessee had tons more happen. And what they do? 
They just cut a check. Michigan gets in trouble. <laughs> Coach is suspended for the first time in a month. This the NCAA is silly. This whole thing is silly. But I'll tell you this. Michigan's got a great team this year. I don't think missing Harbaugh will do a whole lot to that. I think they're pretty much a well-oiled machine. But it's just funny. There, there's no consistency, Trey. It, it, I swear it's so hit and miss with these violations and these issues and the way they document it and the way they report it. It's just it, – it's it's why college football is so funny sometimes. Yeah, and just so people know, the first four games of the season aren't gangbusters. It's East Carolina – and then UNLV in Ann Arbor, and then Bowling Green in Ann Arbor, too. Actually, their first four games are in Ann Arbor. East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, and Rutgers. So, uh, all very winnable games, obviously. So, not a huge deal, I guess, with him not being on the sidelines. But still, to your point, Justin, the NCAA is so erratic with how they choose to um, how they choose to enforce their rule, rules. And right. I talked with a number of people at Big 12 Media Days about this, about what the future for the NCAA is in college football, because for me, it seems like they are going to eventually find themselves on the outside looking in while they still maintain responsibility for all other sports because they've done such a terrible job to this point and have typically been five years behind in trying to uh, set rules and regulations for things that are very clearly coming or already here. And NIL is a great uh, a great example of that. But the problem with the NCAA wielding some supposed authority is to have authority, you have to have the respect of those who are under that authority. And nobody respects the NCAA right now. Supposedly, Charlie Baker, who has taken over Mark Emmert, is yeah. uh, actually making some fans early on. People were speaking positively about him at Big 12 Media Days, including Brett Yormark. But I'm going to believe that when I see it, though, when it's all said and done. Yeah, you, you said it, erratic, inconsistent. The NCAA is a shell of itself. It's still trying to remain relevant, and the game has passed it by. Yeah, We've seen that over the last five to ten years. The game has passed it by. I used to think – when Johnny Manziel couldn't capitalize over, you know, above the table on, on the Heisman Trophy and all the, the signings and everything that he did, when he couldn't capitalize on that, I felt like, okay, the NCAA is going to die. Because at some point, these players are going to sue. Because you re- you're literally getting in their way of making money, of, of having a livelihood. They're going to sue. And that's what happened. You had different, different organizations, different conferences, different things. And now the NCAA I, – I, it's on its last breath. It really is. I, you know, they say, well, the NCAA is the governing body. Let me tell you something. Nobody's more valuable or more known in college football than Greg Sankey. The SEC commissioner, it, if you want to know what's going on in college football, tune into his press conference because he's the one that's going to basically set the floor. He basically lets people know what's going on. And I feel like he's got a better beat on things than the NCAA does. I don't know how much longer it's going to be around, Trey. I keep thinking it's going to be a couple of years, a couple of years. But I think until these commissioners, till all the realignment gets settled and all these commissioners agree on one standard process for, for everything that goes by, we're still going to have these things. We're still going to have Michigan just getting Jim Harbaugh getting suspended for four games while Tennessee just cuts a check mm-hmm. for, you know, handing out money through McDonald's bags, essentially. <laughs> it's just inconsistent. You nailed it. It's erratic. And it's not good for the over. And listen, they've tried to bend over. They've tried to help. That they allowed NIL to happen, and they put no regulations in when they did it. And now we have a crazy Pandora's box of of NIL going across the country. 
just another example of the NCAA being incompetent. Yeah, I believe they made the problem worse, as a matter of fact, because they allowed the free agency free-for-all. And I realized at the time it was, well, the first transfer is free. You can play immediately, assuming it's not happening during the season. And then we'll talk about it after that. You can file an appeal to play immediately at that next place. But we've seen over the last few years, they're just going to let guys bounce from one school to another and play immediately at the same time. And Brew McCoy is maybe the uh, the best example of that for Longhorn fans, USC fans, and now Tennessee fans too. <laughs> I'll never forget talking to a Texas staffer as that was happening. And he basically, you know, I congratulated him, you know, good job getting Brew McCoy. And he goes, you know, I'm a little scared what just happened. I think we've opened a box that we're not going to be able to close. Yeah. And boy, he was right. Well, uh, fortunately, Quinn Ewers is not a Michigan Wolverine. He is a Texas Longhorn and uh, has a full grasp on that starting position. That, of course, was, I think, pretty well known heading into spring practices. And at the end of it all, Steve Sarkeesian reconfirmed that. Nothing has changed since then. How has Quinn been doing in leading the team through seven-on-seven and the other summer workouts happening right now, Sands coaches? He's really coming out of a shell, and it started really during Alamo Bowl practices and at the beginning of the year and and through spring ball. You know, Quinn understood he needed to fix himself. You can't be a leader if you're not doing things the right way at all times. And, And there were little things that Quinn wanted to fix, and he did that. He, he worked on the mechanics. He, he went on the strategic diet. He got his body in the best possible shape, but he also needed to be more vocal. And Sark had let him know that at the end of the season last year, look, these guys will listen to you. You don't have to bark and, and scream. Just, just lead. They, they listen to you. They respect you. They, 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 they do. And so Quint's taken that and ran with it. And there was, we had an example of that last week during seven on seven, the end of the drill, the end of the session didn't go well. But it was the end. The horn had sounded. It was the end of the, the evening for the guys. And so they started to jog off the field. Well, Quinn Ewers stopped everyone and told everybody to get back, that there's still things to be done. And they literally went through a two-minute drill. He wanted to finish that session positively. He actually threw a touchdown pass to Jatavian Sanders with like seven seconds left. And that group there, that practice went crazy because it was one of those moments where Quinn climbed out of his shell Literally, he didn't have to be screamed, but but he did get pretty fired up, pretty vocal. He let the team know we don't go in on bad ones. We got to finish on good ones. He blamed himself for a bad play a few a few throws before. He said, we're going to all do better. And that's exactly what he did. And if I'm a Texas fan, that's exactly what you want to hear. Because I've said this before, B. John Robinson and Rashawn Johnson not only left a giant hole in the production, they left a big hole in the in the leadership in that locker room. Quinn Ewers, Jalen Ford, uh, Jaron Thompson, Christian Jones. These are guys that are trying to take on that leadership role. Even Jatavian Sanders is becoming more vocal because he's so respected. And I, that's that's when you see great teams, Trey. You know, good teams are coach-led. Great teams are player-led. Which of the receivers would you say has the most natural leadership abilities? Jordan Whittington. Mm. Probably Makes the sense. less amount of talent but the most leadership qualities. He's been there. He's a veteran. He's so respected in the locker room. Jordan's such a great kid. He he may not be in the top three or four in catches this year, touchdowns, you know, receiving yards, but he is definitely the most respected member of that wide receiver room. I mean, if nothing else, he could be looked at as this team's possession receiver, correct? Like, obviously, 
Uh, yes. A.D. Mitchell might qualify as that too, but Xavier Worthy is your big play guy. But Jordan Whittington was Mr. Consistency when this offense allowed him to be last year. And going back you a know, couple you, years now. No, you, no you, I think you made a great point. I think Xavier is not going to be your game-breaker big play guy anymore. Huh. I think he's going to be a mixture because he's going to play some more inside than he did in the past. And so – A.D. Mitchell's going to be your big play vertical guy. That's going to be the guy when you, you need to, you know, uh, you, you, you need to get the ball down the field. You know, you need you need a big play, big pop. A.D. Mitchell's going to be that guy. Xavier Worthy's going to be the guy that's running everywhere because he's a natural route runner and gets open with ease. Jordan Whittington's going to be that valve. He's going to be that third, that second or third check. That when you know if plays aren't there, Jordan knows how to get open. He's smart. He's savvy. He'll find the holes in a zone. He, he he's operated with Quinn now for going into their second year. So there's some com- there's some comfortability there. And then don't forget Jatavian Sanders because I just feel like Quinn. I feel like Sanders is the safety. I feel like Quinn looks at him like okay, if something goes wrong, something breaks down, I've always got my big athletic tight end that's going to be playing on Sundays with me in the next few years. And so that's kind of how I would break down the dynamic of that of that wide receiver room. Yes, I think I think Whittington would be perfect in that role of 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 finding the whole, the soft spots in the zone, catching you know third and seven, catching that eight yard eight yard in things of that sort. But from a big play standpoint, don't be shocked if Ad Mitchell tries to take that man. He's Justin Wells of Inside Texas and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. Coming up, Justin and I will discuss Arch Manning signing his first trading card NIL deal. The Longhorns are hosting a pool party this Thursday. Who's going to be at that? It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. One more segment with Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. And follow him on Twitter at JustinWells2424. And up to now, you've been able to hear him on this program every Tuesday night at 1015 for two segments. That changes starting next week. Beginning next week, Justin will be on Wednesdays at the same time. So Wednesdays, 1015 to 1040, 1045 or so. So stay tuned for that. Mark your calendars. All right, Justin. Uh, Pro mode going into the break that we were going to talk a little Arch Manning because he did make headlines today by signing his first trading card NIL deal. Now, for those who are not familiar, you are somebody who has gotten back into trading cards over the last few years because of your kick-butt son, Alexander, and his desire to get into trading cards as well. So what exactly does it mean that Arch Manning signed a deal with Panini for one single card, I guess? It's funny. you know. This is coming on the heels of Quinn. You were signing an exclusive deal with Panini. And basically, Panini America, you know, they, they make all kinds of different trading cards, football, basketball. There's They, they, they do the Donruss stuff with baseball, with Leaf. They, they, they've got their feet in a lot of stuff. Patrick Mahomes has an exclusive deal. Kobe Bryant's estate has an exclusive deal. This is Panini getting in on Arch Manning early. And they've decided to produce one card, just one. And it's going to be the most expensive third string quarterback in a college card in the history of, of, of memorabilia. <laughs> um, he's going to sign one card. It's going to be a one of one. And for any collectors, the one of one is the most rare of any card. Why? There's only one. 
Arch is only going to sign one. And as of earlier today, that card got put up for bid and all proceeds are going to go to a nonprofit charity in Central Texas because that's how Arch Manning rolls. But it's already bid over $30,000. Oh, my God. I know this industry enough to know that number is going to keep going up because it's the not only the rarity, it's not only the name Arch Manning, it's it's a beautiful card. They, they, they really put a lot of time and effort into this stuff, and it's something to treasure. It's something to invest in. It's something to collect. He's only going to do one of them right now. I can't wait to see where that card goes. So is this a common thing amongst college athletes right now, signing with one of the two major card companies? Yes, and I see majority of them signing with Panini. Huh. Uh, Tops has a thing called Bowman, and, and Bowman has a deal with, with, with the NCAA. And so that's why if you've collected over the last couple of years, you've seen some Bijan Robinson cards. They, they've had them in the Leaf set. They've had them in the Bowman set. Now people are, are waiting for his, you know, his big Chronicles rookie release, his SP rookie release, you know, the, the, the select rookie, you know, his, his rookie, his actual rookie card with the Atlanta Falcons. It's going to be one of the highest, most valuable cards in the entire market if it isn't already. And so this is pretty common. I, I believe um, the quarterback from USC, Caleb Williams, had, had inked a deal. I think Drake May, the quarterback out of North Carolina, had maybe inked a similar deal this is and this is good for both ends because the, the the college guys are getting some a little bit of early money. They're getting a card put, you know, get, getting themselves put on a, on, a, on a football card a little earlier than than normal. Whereas the company's getting a, in that relationship business with that player early. So instead of trying to sign Arch Manning the day before he gets drafted, you know, three or four years from now, now they have a they'll have a relationship, a longstanding relationship. And in the collecting business, it looks like those exclusive contracts really separate each other. If you can get Mike, you know, I believe Upper Deck had Michael Jordan and King Griffey Jr. for for a long time. Those were the only places you could get those cards autoed for a long time. And it just, all it did was increase the value. Why? Because they were rare. They don't, they didn't overprint. They didn't overproduce. And so it's such an, it's such an interesting business now. You know, I have a lot of parents that ask me about it. It's not, it's still a kid's, art you just it's turned into an adult game essentially kids you can find the cheap cards you can find the stuff that we collected that we had fun with that we found players we loved and things of that but it's become such an investment now it's just part of the new game with nil i wrote a story like a week or so ago at inside texas about how our game is basically changing nil in a way and and that's what we're seeing. We 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 griped about the NCAA earlier in the way they handled NIL when they released it. But this is one of the good things. So you've been collecting sports cards going back to the 1980s. I'm sure you've made lots of trades with your friends over that time. I'm curious, do you have a worst deal you ever made? And I will give you a second to think about that by telling you the worst deal I ever made as it pertains to sports cards. Uh, of course, the most valuable card when we were kids, Justin, was that King Griffey Jr. Upper Deck Rookie card. Highly sought after. It felt like they made less of those than, than they did uh, a lot of the other Upper Deck cards that very first year. But I actually had one of those cards. I pulled it in a pack and traded it away for this stack of 30 college basketball cards 
that had the college stars of 89 or 90 or whatever it was, specifically because there was a Travis Mays card in there. And I was certain, because Travis Mays was my favorite of the BMW guys, that he was going to go on to be a superstar at the NBA level. Unfortunately, that did not happen. And that uh, that card and that pack did not retain the value that the King Griffey Jr. Upper Deck rookie did. No, no. No, it didn't. That 89 upper deck King Griffey Jr. card is the the holy grail of King Griffey Jr. cards. I still have the one I had from when I was younger. I, I held on to it for all these years. I, I want to give it to my son. How much is it uh, worth? You know, that's the thing these days. They, there's two different levels. You can buy it raw, which is just, you know, out of a pack, you know, out of a box. You know, they just hand you the card. It's not graded. Or they can you can get it graded. Cost you about $25 to run it through PSA, different different companies to, to certify it. If that thing is a certified 10, a gem mint, that's a $500, $600 card. Oh my gosh. If it's raw, it's still a couple hundred bucks. Jeez. If you get that thing graded or certified, I'll give you a bad deal. And it wasn't a bad trade. It was, and this is, I'm going to throw my mother under the bus on this. We're at a card <laughs> show in 1986. And I was a gigantic, I mean, gigantic Michael Jordan fan, like any other young kid getting into basketball. And I had an opportunity. I found that that I wanted to buy one of the Jordan cards that was on display. And it was the Michael Jordan 86 Fleer, which is his rookie card. And it was a dollar. And we had to leave. And I said, Mom, can you give me a dollar? I found the Jordan card I want to get. Can I go ahead and get this? She said, no. I said, Mom, it's only a dollar. She said, I said, no. It's mom, it's 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 just it's, Jordan doesn't really have many cards. I just want this one card. She said no. So we walked out of that place without that card. That's a twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollar card. Oh now. my gosh! And so whenever whenever my mother gets a little crossways, or whenever she you know <laughs> steps over her bounds, or, or sometimes I like to remind her of that. It's like mom, we could have had it all for a dollar, but no, you, you you had to get you 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 had to get the beer store before it closed. No, we had to get out of there. And so that's the worst deal I've ever had. Now, I, I'm unfortunately, I had pulled off some pretty good deals with friends that I kind of regret now, you know, selling them a bunch of Greg Jeffries rookies so I could get the Bo Jackson bonos with the pads and the bats, the score, 91 score with the bat on the back of his uh, his shoulders. I'd done that before, but I'll never forget. I never let her forget that either. I had a chance to get the 86 Fleer Jordan for a dollar. I couldn't even get a dollar. That is the ultimate trump card there with your mom, pun intended, I guess. All right, uh, the Texas Longhorns are hosting a pool party this Thursday. Apparently a lot going on across college football with regards to recruits being brought into various places. So what is happening with this pool party on Thursday involving Longhorns players? Perhaps there will be some coaches around, and then, of course, the recruits too. Yeah, this is this is a pretty standard thing they do at the end. Once the dead period gets lifted today, you know, there's a ton of modern day players on the on the campus today, a lot of prospects. There'll there'll be a ton more on Thursday. This is their annual pool party. Uh it's not as big as it has been in the past. It's a little similar to last year, where there's some good names, there's some quality guys there, but I think Texas is really trying to focus more eight days away from camp. And they really want to get get their mindset on the 2023 season because nothing is going to make this 24 class take off like a good start in the 2023 season. But there's still some big names. There's still some some really talented dudes. Kobe Sellers, 
cornerback out of Shadow Creek, a 2025 kid. He came from a private school. He was a quarterback at a private school last year. Now he's moved to a big 5A. He's going to start at corner. He has a ton of upside. Byron Washington. I went to DeSoto in the spring. When I walked in the locker room, he is the biggest human in the city. He's about six, seven and a half, three. 55, 360, just a ginormous human. Probably goes eye to eye with Cam Williams. Wow. Uh, Chad Woodford, that's a kid people really need to get to know his name. He's a 2025 edge. I, I know Texas is going to do well in edge recruiting in 2024, but they're going to have to knock it out again in the next cycle. The humble summer Creek kid is one of those guys that's just got a lot of talent, great feet, good hands, and, and can bend the edge. And he's another kid that's going to be on campus as well. And there's, there's 124 that I think people need to pay attention to, and that's Edge Solomon Williams. He's at a Carol Carolwood Day High School in Tampa. About six, two and a half, 250, 255. Texas has been on him a little bit of recent. They're going to try to bring him in this weekend, maybe Friday, maybe, maybe Saturday. And so while the visitor list may not be the most beautiful in the world, there's still some big some, some really quality guys coming in, some dudes that they have to to, to, to really lay the foundation on in 2025. They're going to have a handful of their 2024 ki- kids there as well. Parker Livingstone, Trey Owens, Freddie DuBose, Daniel Cruz, Nate Kibble. So top to bottom, it, it's not as pretty as I think most fans would expect, but most of those guys came during the two junior days, late June, you know, mid-May. They came for, 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 for their official visits in June. And so I think Texas, they, they put effort into this, but also feel like their their, their main focus is on getting into camp, getting ready, and, and understanding that a good start to 2023 is actually the best recruiting they can do right now. He is Justin Wells. Hear him on this program starting uh, next week, every Wednesday at 10.15. He, of course, is with Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. Justin, thank you as always for the time, my friend. Nothing but love, Trey. Coming up in Where Are We At in Society, we sadly have more examples of people doing stupid things in the name of social media. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Final segment of tonight's show means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? That's right, it is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will give you a story that provides a sense of optimism. That has us all saying to ourselves, Hey, maybe we as a people are beginning to figure it out. Perhaps all is not lost and the inevitable war between man and machine that it does seem like the machines are going to win handily. They may not even have to fire a shot. They're probably just going to put something inflammatory on social media, have us eat ourselves, and then that will be that. And speaking of social media, social media, in a general sense, is where we start with this evening's batch of Where Are We At stories. We have two, and perhaps you could consider three, Stories that are influenced by people's desire to become social media slash internet famous. Begin where we often do with these sorts of stories on TikTok. TikTok has a long history at this point, embarrassingly for us all, of people competing in challenges. Oftentimes involving eating things that not only doesn't seem all that palatable, but in some instances is flat out poisonous. And 
Sadly, we have another example of this now. We can go all the way back to 2018. Gosh, five years ago now. When the Tide Pod Challenge happened. Where people were taking those Tide Pod packets, which I admit they look like candy, but they're Tide Pods. So you with half a brain know that they're not candy. Where people were sticking these things in their mouths and some of whom were ending up in the hospital or having to call poison control as a result. And sadly, this latest challenge may be a worse version of that. Young people are consuming something called borax. No, not Borat. Not the Ali G character. The Sasha Baron Cohen character. But borax a laundry detergent powder, and pesticide. So you're taking the Tide Pod and mixing in a little little bit of pesticide while you're at it. A handful of TikTok videos show people, quote, jumping on the borax train by adding the white powder to smoothies or coffee as a way to ease the symptoms of arthritis, lupus, or other health issues that come from consuming borax. But according to Dr. Kelly Johnson Arbor, who is a medical toxicology doctor at the National Capital Poison Center, quote, borax is actually a poisonous compound and should never be eaten. Borax consumption has recently been popularized on TikTok as a way to treat inflammation. Oh my God, people are doing this because they think they're helping themselves. You idiots. But... There is no evidence that swallowing borax has any human health benefits. That's sadly, I guess you have to tell people this, but you're talking about pesticide. It's probably not going to help a whole lot with that inflammation. If If anything, it may send things the other direction. So borax, for those who are like me and had never heard of this before this story, is a naturally occurring compound often known as sodium borate. It contains elements of boron, sodium, oxygen, and hydrogen. It can be mined from dry lake beds, like what's around California's Death Valley. For years, people have used borax as a laundry additive, a pesticide, a household cleanser, and an herbicide as well as using it to unclog drains. It can be found in paints, acne products, and specialty oral care products, according to WebMD. According to WebMD, it can also be considered safe when used topically and not swallowed. I would question how safe it is topically if you shouldn't be swallowing it. Then again, I guess... Skin lotion is good for topical use, but you probably shouldn't be ingesting any of that either. Now, borax is established to be dangerous when ingested, sadly, for those who are actually following through on this stupidity. It can cause nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, skin flushing, rash, convulsions, depression, and even vascular collapse. Toxicity can also cause headaches, hypothermia, restlessness, weariness, renal injury, 
dermatitis, alopecia, anorexia, and indigestion. And infants, God, if you're giving this to your infants for a TikTok challenge, you need to be dealt with quickly. For infants who take it, it can cause anemia, seizures, arrhythmia, and thin hair. And extremely high doses of borax can be fatal. Even U.S. Borax, the maker of 20 Mule Team Borax, states on its FDA status page, quote, U.S. Borax does not offer any product that we approve nor intend for the dietary for a dietary ingredient, pharmaceutical and or over-the-counter active ingredient, nor food additive or direct additive to foods. Our products are labeled as not for eternal internal use, and thus are not intended for internal related applications, nor as an active ingredient. Do these people realize what it is that they're doing? Like, do they think it's funny that it's all a game and that, that consuming something in a really small dose minimizes or diminishes whatever a negative effect could be from such consumption? Like, I just don't understand. There are people on TikTok who are criticizing those who are following through on this challenge, I guess. Thankfully, some level heads on TikTok, but not enough, clearly. Even if a handful of people are doing this stupid, you know what? Then again, people are always going to do stupid things. So if it's just a few... Is it really that bad? Well, it's enough that it has drawn the attention of where we at in society. We move on now to another example of somebody doing something stupid in the name of social media. A guy in India is pretty lucky to be alive after falling into a river while trying to take an ill-advised selfie. There's actually an Instagram post depicting the miraculous rescue that, hey, congratulations, bud, you're blowing up online now because you had to be rescued for being a real dumbass. According to Jam Press, this near miss occurred while a 30-year-old had been exploring caves in India. These caves are a series of majestic Buddhist cave temples carved into rocks. Unfortunately, disaster struck after this dude tried to take a selfie and ended up plunging into a river. He survived the fall, I guess, obviously, since he was rescued. And he was fished out by not only authorities, but also people who were around and saw him fall in. His fellow average citizens decided to take action to help him in spite of his stupidity. I think you do have to help people in spite of their stupidity sometimes. The harrowing footage that has blown up on social media does show the moment that this guy was extracted from the water with a long rope manned by over 10 people. And the clip ends with bystanders pulling the dangling man past a roaring waterfall and to safety on top of the cliff. Now, rescuers did say this guy started swimming after the plunge, 
which gave them more time to extract him from the canyon. He should thank his lucky stars he's alive as many high-altitude selfie-takers haven't been so fortunate. So this isn't the first time this has happened. Highlighted stories like this on where we at in the past. There's an example from last fall where somebody died after plummeting 40 feet while trying to snap a cliffside selfie at some spot in Brazil. And there was a study done in 2020. How embarrassing is this for us? There was a study conducted in 2020 that found that more people die taking self-portraits, so taking selfies, than die due to shark attacks. So for all those of you who are scared to get in the ocean, which I don't fault you at this point, I've seen enough social media videos of sharks swimming literally, I don't know, 20 to 30 feet off the shore in shallow waters. Well, think before you selfie the next time because as afraid as you are of sharks, taking that selfie is potentially much more hazardous to your health than getting into a large body of water. Unbelievable, people. Just take a few steps inland and take the selfie. You don't need to lean over anything in the process. And that is it for another edition of the Night Talker. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Thank you as well to Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. A reminder that starting next week, Justin will be on the show on Wednesday nights for two segments starting at 10.15. In the meantime, folks, have yourselves a great rest of the evening. We'll be back tomorrow at 10. In the meantime, sweet dreams. It's the Night Talker with Trey Ellings.